It's a psalm that's based off of the life of David. And so I'll share a little bit about this psalm and the backdrop of it. But let's stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word. I'll just read a portion of it to get us started. The Bible says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me, my moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah. Now, that word Selah, when you see that, that means the writer just pauses a minute. If you will, if you'll let me use mountain terms, just as a Holy Spirit fit. What it means is, stop and think on that a minute. That's what it means. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of my sin, Selah. Father, speak to us through your word for your glory. In Jesus' name, all God's children said, Amen. The backdrop of this psalm is tied to David's sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah. When David committed that sin with Bathsheba and Uriah, um, Nathan confronted David. And when Nathan confronted David, David came to a place of repentance. And when he came to a place of repentance, of course, he found forgiveness. And so what this psalm is, is it's after the fact. In other words, after David's repented, after David has now been forgiven and and God has restored fellowship with David, David now takes a look back after the fact, reflects on all that transpired and all that took place. And if you will, this psalm is just a psalm of, of praise for what God did in respect to what David did. Now, I I say that to say this. You remember this. If God gave us what we deserve, we'd all never be forgiven. And, And so David's looking back and he says, look what God did in view of what I did. And, and that's the, the jest of this psalm. Now, let's walk through this psalm a little bit together. I want you to see this, the countenance of the, of of David, the countenance of David. Notice what it says. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. This word blessed has to do with uh, at rest, at peace. Uh, it, it's used in a couple connotations of the Old Testament of one that is walking with the Lord. In other words, they're walking in, in absolute peace with God. It has the definition of happiness as well. And listen, for a true child of God, there is no happiness unless you're walking with the Lord. Now, we look for happiness everywhere else. We look for it in relationships. 
We look for it in, in marriages. We look for it in everything else. But listen to what I'm about to say. The only true happiness is found when you're walking in proper fellowship with God. Now, if you're not saved, then listen, that, that does not apply. But if you're saved today, that's the only thing that will bring a lasting happiness. And, and David said, blessed is the man. And, and his countenance was of such that now he, he reflects back, he sees, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven. So let me, let me show you a few things here, the testimony of blessings. In, in other words, here's a man that has acknowledged that there's been the removal of his sin. This word forgiven has that aspect of, of sins that have been taken away, sins that have been removed. It goes back to the aspect of the scapegoat. When the priest would confess the sins of all the nation of the Israel upon that scapegoat, take that scapegoat way out into the wilderness and let it go, and the sins of the Israel would be bore upon that scapegoat, and by himself he would die. And it would a picture that, that their sins died with that scapegoat. And David says here, I am. I came to a place of repentance. I came to the place of seeing my sin. And he said, oh, glory. Oh, glory. He said, I can proclaim now, looking back, that my sins have been removed. Isn't that a good knowledge to have? Can I tell you, if you're saved today, that's what happened to you. It's just an amazing thing. He, he begins with this removal of sin, but then he notices, notice the recognition of sin and whose sin is covered. That word whose sin is a reflection of himself. And, and remember when Nathan confronted David, remember what took place. Nathan said to David, you are the man. And David's response was what? Against thee and thee alone, O God, I have sinned. Now you say, wait a minute, he sinned against Bathsheba. He did. He sinned against Uriah and his family. He did. But listen, sin comes down to one fine point. And you and I must reconcile with those we have harmed or we've done uh, harm against. But listen, David came to the place where he realized, God against you and you alone. You're the main focus of my sin. And for David to experience this forgiveness, he had to recognize his sin. Now, here's, here's the reality. As we're preparing for revival, one of the things you need to know is this, that recognition or understanding of our sin is the single greatest factor that keeps people from experiencing revival. Why? Because we don't want to see ourselves. And I don't mind seeing somebody else's sin. But I don't want to see my own sin. There's a word for that in Scripture. Can I tell you what it is? Pride. I mean, there, there's something about our humanity. Hey, we, we just don't want to see who we really are. But David came to that, that fine point of repentance where it began with him recognizing, this is me and this is what I've done and David said, whose sins is covered. Now, I, I'm not going to deal with that again. I've dealt with it many times with y'all. But you understand on this side of Calvary, on this side of Pentecost, that our sins are not covered, our sins are taken away. But in that Old Testament picture, all David knew was the covering of sins. But the picture is still the same. It, it, covering of sins meaning, God, you don't recognize them anymore. 
I recognized my sin, and I repented of my sin, that you wouldn't recognize my sin anymore. Y'all see the picture? If you don't see your sin, then guess what? Your sin is still between you and the Father. It all begins with this recognition of sin. Well, he goes on. Notice thirdly the recording of sin. He says in, in verse number 2, Blessed, here's that word again, is the man in whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. This word impute is a banker's term. It means to record, to to ledger, to, to mark down against someone. It, it speaks of someone that has a debt. And, and the picture here is this, that David said, Listen, I, I recognize my sin. I came to you. I confessed my sin. In repentance, you took away my sin. And you now have forgiven me. And you've removed that, that stench and the condemnation that my sin brought. And he says, now, here, O oh Lord, here, O oh Lord, oh glory, here's the reality that you don't even have a record of it anymore. You don't hold it against me anymore. In other words, here's what God's saying. God's saying, listen, you see it as a debt that's already been paid. I don't owe it anymore. I don't have to deal with it anymore. God, you've already taken care of it. The Bible says in Colossians, He blotted out the ordinances that were against us, nailing it to a cross. The picture is, in that day when someone had a debt, they would nail a IOU to the door of the house. And it will say, this man owes this. And But when that thing is paid, or somebody pays it for him, they go back, they fold the parchment paper up, they erase the debt that's on the parchment paper, and they write on the outside, paid in full. David said, hey, oh Lord, you You've paid it in full. It is no longer recorded. Can't be held against me anymore. You see, I don't understand why people will hold on to something, hold on to sin that God wants to release them from and not hold them against. They say, well, you know, listen, I've I just, I've been doing it for so long. I've just become of such that I've done it for so long that I just can't let it go. Well, I got news for you. If that's true, you got a whole nother problem. Folks, listen, sin dealt with. I mean, just absolutely brings us to a place where God in His great mercy delivers us, and in delivering us, He sees us as if we had no sin at all. It's called justification. Now, you say, well, preacher, we all have unknown sin. We do. But let me tell you something. When we stand before God, What's going to be dealt with when we stand before God? Not the unknown sin, but the known sins that we would not repent of. Now, doesn't affect your getting into the family, doesn't affect you getting into heaven if you're truly saved, but here's what it will affect. The role that you'll have in His kingdom.
And David said, Blessed is the man who God imputeth not his iniquity. Isn't God good? I mean, think a minute, think about it a minute, folks. I mean, the glory of this thing is this, that Adam, when he sinned, his sin was imputed unto us. Now think about it. When Adam sinned, how did you and I, why could the Bible says we were born in iniquity? i say it one more time. I've said it a million times. I'm going to say it again. You didn't sin to become a sinner. You were born that way. You sinned because that's who you were. So how did I become a sinner even from my mother's womb? Because the sin of Adam was imputed unto you. In other words, the Adam nature was given to you through the bloodline of the Father. And you were born with a sinful nature. But here's the reality. The glory of it all is this. That even though Adam's sin was imputed unto me, when the Lord Jesus came and went on the cross, God took my sin and your sin and imputed upon the Son. And now the Son bore what I got from Adam. And at that moment, when the Lord saved me, here's what God did. In replace of what He took off of me, and the replace of what He took out of you, He imputed something else. And you say, what is that? He took my sin, and took it off of me, and took care of it Himself, and in turn, He imputed His righteousness unto me. Amen. So can I tell you, from Adam to glorification, is one work of imputation after another. You see, this is what, this is what David, he's acknowledging here. He said, listen, God, you don't even record my sin anymore. Well, let's go on the realization of sin. In whose spirit there is no God. Blessed is the man who Sins are no longer recorded, but in whose spirit there is no guile. This word guile is translated this way, deception. Blessed is the man who in his spirit is not deceived. How many times do we walk in sin and we find every way we can to excuse it away? And the more we excuse it away, the more we deceive, we get about it. And then if somebody tries to throw it up to us, we'll stand up and fight for it. Because we're convinced it's okay. Y'all say amen. But here's what David said, Blessed is the man who there's no deception found in him. That he sees himself the way God sees him. He deals with it as God deals with it. And there is nothing in his life that he has a false understanding about. Deception. Well, I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, David is just, he's just having himself a spell here in Psalm 32. But not only the countenance of David, or the testimony of David's blessedness, but the testimony of David's barrenness. Look what he says here in verse 3. He says, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into drought of the summer sailor. What is David saying? This word silence is a word I want you to underline. If you underline in your Bible, underline that word. Because here's what it means. It's a Hebrew word that has this idea. Not just to be quiet, 
means much more than that. It has this. To be deaf to or to plow under. Now you say, preacher, I don't understand. What are you saying? It has this idea. You ever heard this term? You've dug your hills in. You've plowed your hills in. The idea here is David is confessing here that there was a, there was a time when it was barrenness in his life. Why? Because with his sin with Bathsheba, how did he try to justify that sin? Well, he tried to justify it by killing Uriah. He tried to cover it up. In other words, he dug his heels in. And when he dug his heels in, I'm not going to repent. I'm going to just cover it up. And here's what the picture is. David said, I remember the day that I was silent. I remember the day that I dug my heels in, that I wasn't moved, that I couldn't be moved. I remember the day that that I was stubborn before God and stubborn towards my sin. I remember that day. And when that happened, my bones waxed old. I became barren. If you will, I became lifeless, even though he still had life. And then he says, from day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. In other words, he confessed here, I remember that day that I dug my heels in and oh God, you placed your heavy hand of correction upon me. You remember the consequences. What was one of the consequences? God took his youngest son. Y'all remember that? And David said, I remember those days. And when I remember those days of how your correcting hand was upon me, and I remember that barrenness, I remember that I wept and wept and wet my moisture is turned into the drought of summer till I could not weep anymore. In other words, I wept. But then the more I went down the path of my sin, I didn't weep over it anymore. You see, David here is given testimony of his barrenness before he experienced that forgiveness. Charles Hatton Spurgeon says this, God does not permit His children, now listen, to sin successfully. Now that's a good word, folks. He, let me repeat what he said. God does not allow His children to sin successfully. It's not that God will not allow you to sin, but you won't get away with it if you do. And if you can get away with it, then you don't know Him. Y'all say amen. amen. If, if I can sin and God never corrects me, convicts me, corrects me, then here's what it says. I'm not one of His. It's what Hebrews says. And David said, in my sin, you didn't leave me alone. Your heavy hand was upon me. One Bible scholar said it this way, a sin is a serpent, and he that covers sin does but keep it warm, that it may sting the more fiercely and disperse the venom, and malignantly thereof the more effectively. Well, that's a good word too. You see, sin is something that when we try to cover, when we try to excuse away, It'll get you when you last expect it. How many of y'all remember the story of the crocodile hunter? Y'all remember that story? If you don't familiar with that, he, he was a man that uh, did this show about um, 
deadly animals, crocodiles. He would capture crocodiles and, and, and he would have these shows where he would uh, always be dealing with deadly animals. And one day he was diving um, overseas somewhere and he was doing a children's show and he saw this huge stingray underwater. Now, stingrays, according to what they say, are one of the most tame underwater creatures there is. And, and so without any thought at all of any danger, he began to get closer and closer to that stingray. And then all of a sudden, without him even having the ability to respond, that stingray in defense shoved its through his heart. And he died right there in the ocean. And you say, preacher, why did you tell us that story? Because here's the reality. What you and I in our flesh seems like a minor issue will get you one day. Let me prove it to you in the Bible. How do you all remember Solomon? you all remember Solomon? Great verse about Solomon. Here it is. He loved to worship the Lord. Now you read that and you go, whoo, glory, what a spiritual man. Y'all say amen. Oh, but read the rest of the verse. But he liked to worship in high places. He loved to worship the Lord, but he liked to worship in high places. And you say, wait a minute, I don't understand. What's the big deal about that? Well, the high places is where pagan worship was taking place. So as they were worshiping their pagan gods, he would go up and worship the Lord. And you say, well, listen, I'm just glad he's worshiping God. Oh, listen, it, it stung him. You say, how do you know? Because you read on about 10 chapters later and you find out the end of Solomon's life. It says this, and the women of the high places pulled his heart away from God. You say, wait a minute, he was, he was worshiping the Lord. Oh, yes, but he wasn't doing it where God said to do it. And because he wasn't doing it where God said to do it, he opened him up to the sting of something that you would think, well, hey, listen, he'll, he won't be affected by that. Oh, listen, he was affected by it. And, and the, they pulled his heart away from the Lord. And the Bible says, at 62 years old, God took him. I believe he experienced the sin unto death as an Old Testament version of it. And Solomon would write, Books of the Bible, like Lamentations and stuff. And he'd say, vanity upon vanity. This was David's testimony of barrenness. Well, let's move on. Look at verse 5. I want you to see the confession. The confession of David. He said, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. In other words, here's what David said. He said, I've been open. I've been transparent. I, I've not tried to hide it. I did what you say I did. I did what I did. Not what he says in verse 5. I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. 
So what is the beginning of finding this, this continuous, ongoing, forgiving grace of God in your life? It's continuously, ongoing, confessing, realizing, and openly saying to God what God says about your sin. And folks, listen, when you do that, you stay in fellowship. You stay in, in absolute communion with God. Why? Because He continues to forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive. And here's the reality. Nothing interferes with your fellowship with God anymore. David said, glory! All I did was be open. All I did was just agree with you. Can I tell you, that's all confession is. But yet we try to hide it. Or we try to excuse it. <laughs> and it, it don't you think this is, this is kind of funny? I remember growing up, um, my mom and dad sitting here. I'll get an amen out of them this time. You watch and see. You watch and see if they don't give their first amen in Liberty Baptist Church right here. Y'all ready? I grew up and I did some stupid stuff. Did I hear one? And I was 100% convinced they had never, ever find out. And then I'd get home, or two days later, and they would put the Board of Correction to the seat of learning. Except for mom, it was a fly swatter. A metal one that hold on, hung on the left side of the refrigerator. I won't touch one to this day. I'm just kidding. I deserve ten times more than they gave me. Y'all say amen. And I'm sitting here going, how'd y'all know? And they knew all along. Guys, do we really think that if we try to hide or excuse away our sin, that we're hiding it from an all-knowing God? Are we really that naive? I, I mean, if He already knows it, why not just say, yes, that's me? But we think, well, if I just... If I just shuck the blame off of somebody else, or if I just, if I just, if I just go on and maybe, maybe I'll get a little more dedicated. I, I'll go to church a few more times, or maybe I'll just give a little bit extra in the offering plate. Maybe God will excuse. I listen. That don't work with God. Let me tell you something. You can't hide sin and you can't bargain with God. David said, all I did was confess. What God already knew. There was one time that I confessed to my parents something they didn't know. Now that was ten times harder. You say, what was it? Well, I, I went to play golf one day. Okay? I was playing with a, with a lady who played for the University of Kentucky golf team. And she, I was playing with her and... And she said, hey, we're going we're gonna to play these two older men over here in golf. I said, okay. And she got on the first tee. I had my ball in the ground. I had my tee in the ground. And she said, now, she said, how much? Uh, $5 a hole, $5 birdies? And I'm sitting here, wait a minute. I've got $4 in my pocket. I, I pulled her offside. I said, I'm not doing this. 
I said, I don't have any money if we lose. She said, don't worry, we won't lose. Now, I was lost then. Y'all say amen. And so we played. Well, every time we won a hole, they would double the bet. After nine holes, they owed us about $160. Now, I'm a, I'm a seventh or eighth grader. How am I going to hire $170 from my parents? The guy had to write me a check. How am I going to cash a check with $170 <laughs> as a seventh grader? Y'all say amen. And so I'm laying in bed one night, and son, I just, I knew I didn't have a choice. I said, Mama! And I had to confess something they didn't know. But can I tell you, there's never a time in your life you'll ever have to confess something God don't already know. Well, anyway, I don't know why I got off of that nostalgia, I guess. Confession's good for the soul. Y'all say amen. amen. The confidence of David. Notice verse 6. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto thee. Notice in verse 6 here, the David's refuge. He said, I can come unto you. I can come unto you. I can be found unto you. And then watch what he says. And the waters, the floods of great waters shall not come nigh unto me. What is he talking about? The floods of judgment will not touch him. He's found refuge in the Lord. Why? Because he's found forgiveness. And guess what? Where there's forgiveness, there's refuge. And isn't it amazing that judgment can't touch a child of God? Why? Because of forgiveness. Now you say, well, wait a minute, preacher, whether I confess or not, there's no condemnation to them in Christ Jesus. Listen, that's the eternal judgment. But I got news for you. There's also the judgment seat of Christ for the Christian. And can I tell you, when I come clean before God, I stay confessed up, repented up. Here's the reality. When I stand before the judgment seat of God as a believer, I won't be touched. Are y'all hearing me? It's glorious. I mean, look, notice verse 7, David's rest. He says in the beginning of verse, Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. David said, I exchanged. Now watch this. Remember, in silence, he tried to hide his sin, dug his heels in. So here's what David said. I exchanged the hiding of my sin for forgiveness that allowed me to hide in Him. Now, I don't know about you, that's a great exchange. And this is what David said. I found a hiding place. And Lord, it's you! And then notice this. David's rejoicing. Look at the bottom, verse 7. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. In other words, you took the barrenness of my heart. You took my bones that were waxed old. You, you took the, the, the brokenness of my heart. You replaced it with what? Songs of deliverance. Songs of joy. In other words, not only have I found rest, but in rest, I can rejoice. If you found it's hard, if you found it's hard to sing praises unto the Lord when you're in battle with the Lord, 
But when you are come clean before God and you just open yourself up barren before God and God's grace and mercy and forgiveness begins to flood your soul. Oh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. David said, my song came back. Well, notice lastly the counsel of David. Verse 8 through 11, he begins with, his experience. He says in verse 8, he said, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way that thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. This is the Lord speaking to David. He said, now that you've found forgiveness, here's what I'll do, David. I'll, in your experience, I'll guide, I'll govern, I'll provide everything for your life. In other words, I'll have my free will to do whatever I need to do for you. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of y'all believe God wants to manifest Himself in revival? So if God wants to manifest Himself in revival, then what's the only thing that would keep Him from doing? Y'all got it? Say amen. You say, well, God's sovereign. He can do it when He wants to. He can. But many times God will not manifest himself where he's not where he does not have free reign. Y'all with me? Notice the encouragement of David, verse ten eleven. My many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusts in the Lord mercy shall compass him about. Be glad in the Lord. Rejoice you righteous. Shout for joy all you that are upright in heart. In other words, all you that are forgiven, pure in heart. Rejoice. 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 I don't know how many times in my life, folks, that God put His finger on something in my life. I, I just felt before that that Man, I'm just, maybe, I hope you understand this term. You ever, you ever had those times where you just felt dry spiritually? Does that, does that resonate with y'all? I mean, I just felt dry spiritually. And I didn't know why. I couldn't figure it out. I, I mean, it was a struggle to have intimate prayer time. I, I mean, listen, I could pray, but to have intimate, in other words, to sense his abiding presence. It was a struggle to discern. It was a struggle to, to be able to, with spiritual eyes, to be able to, to see God's ways and will. And then all of a sudden, God would put a finger on something in my life. And I would come clean. And folks, it's, I'm glad when God saves us, He, He don't save us again. Y'all say amen. You don't have to. But listen to what I'm about to say. It was almost as if I got saved all over again. All of a sudden, it's like somebody turned a light on. It's like, all of a sudden now, the joy began to flood my soul. The song came back to my heart. The praise kept flowing from my lips.
discernment, sensitivity. Let me give you one illustration and I'm done. First church I pastored. I was going through one of those seasons. It was like for me pulling teeth to get the sermon on what God would have me to preach. I was struggling. And I couldn't figure out for the life of me what was causing it. And one day I was sitting in my office and I'll never forget it. God put his finger on a root of bitterness and unforgiveness. I had towards someone that I hadn't seen or talked to in over two years. If you would have asked me before that moment, was you bitter towards this individual? I'd have said, no. Was I happy with them? No. But if, if you'd asked me, would I said I'd bitter about them? No. And God put his finger on that, that individual in my heart. This individual traveled the world sharing her testimony. Her name was Iris Blue. If you don't know who Iris Blue was or is, she, she was a regular on Focus on the Family. She was a regular sharing her testimony all across the world. Y'all have heard me share her testimony. I called Iris up. I had her cell phone number. I called her up. I said, Iris, I said, there was something happened. I went to Israel with her and her husband twice. I said, something happened on the last trip to Israel that really upset me. And I said, and God showed me this morning that I had developed a root of bitterness towards that. And, and it's nothing on you. It's all on me. And I said, I need to ask you to forgive me for that. She said, well, Mac, I didn't even know you was mad at us. I said, I know. And she said, well, why'd you call? I said, because God told me to. See, it's easy to hide in a closet. And she said, well, Mac, whatever it is, you're, you're forgiven. Don't worry about it. And I said, thank you, Iris. And right there, the joy began to flood my heart. And I got on my face and began to pray. And that sensitivity, that, that intimacy began to slowly come back. In the middle of my prayer, my phone rang and I looked over and it was Iris and I picked it back up and I said, Iris, what is it? She said, Mac, she said, I was walked out on stage to give my testimony to 400 ladies at Glorietta in New Mexico. And I got under conviction and I had to leave the stage and I walked back off the stage to call you. And I said, what about Iris? She said, whatever made you upset at us? She said, would you tell me so I can ask you forgiveness? And I said, Iris, I said, nothing to ask forgiveness about. It's done. I'm, it's settled. We're good. She walked back on stage, shared her testimony. She called me later on. Had countless numbers of ladies, I think it was 30 or 40 ladies, come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus at a WMU conference. The joy came back to the soul. Folks, listen to what I'm saying. 
There's joy and forgiveness the day He saved us. How many of y'all remember that joyful day? But there's joy and forgiveness moment by moment, day by day. When you and I stay clean before God, stay confessed up, prayed up, repented up, there's joy and forgiveness. Father, I stand in awe, I stand amazed at who you are. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that lets us see what we need to see, shows us what we need to understand. And thank you for the blood of Christ that allows us to find through confession of our sin, moment by moment, day by day, that you continue to see our sin no more. Oh, Father, may we never lose the joy of your forgiveness. And Father, maybe there's individuals here tonight, uh, they just are going through that time, they're dry spiritually. There's just not that hunger, that sense of urgency, that passion, that appetite, that longing to huddle up with you. Maybe today you need to put your finger on something. And if you do, may we just say back to you what you're saying to us, what you already know, that we can know the joy of forgiveness. And I'll thank you and I'll praise you in Jesus' name.